morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to remind you guys of something. I know it's depressing. We have snow and it's middle of April, um, but I love in Isaiah one eighteen where it talks about um, how though our sin is as scarlet. Um, God makes it white as snow, and, and that was fulfilled through Jesus, right? So I, I know this is maybe just a, a little consolation, but if it can be an encouragement to you, um, I hope it can be. As you walk around, you notice the snow, just a reminder of Jesus forgiving your sin, making it white as snow, um, and hopefully it's not here next week. Um, but if you guys want to turn to Luke 2, for our Christmas, but I'm sorry, I'll, I'll quit. We're in 1 Corinthians 9 this morning. You can go to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to talk a little bit about freedom this morning. And everyone seems to want to be free. It's, it's like built into our DNA, right? We all want to be free. And our culture says something like this. They say, you know what, I'm already free. It's you Christians who are all tied up in moral knots. I just do what I feel like doing. I'm thankful for a country where I can do it. And that's all the freedom I care about. But deep down, deep down, everybody knows that that definition of freedom doesn't work. If you do whatever you feel like doing, it leads to regret. It leads to pain. It leads to depression. It leads to addiction. That's not freedom. A good biblical definition of freedom uh, was given by John Piper. And it's up here on the screen. He says, you are fully free, completely free. When you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will make you happy in a thousand years and leave you with no regrets forever. You're fully free, completely free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will make you happy in a thousand years and leave you with no regrets forever. See, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is, is basically saying, I'm a living example of chapter 8 which says use your freedom to serve other people. Use your freedom in Christ to serve other people. Or, or put another way, live your life for eternity. That's what true freedom is. Doing what will make you happy in a thousand years and leave you with no regrets. See, freedom paradoxically is found in giving up our freedom and giving up our rights right here, right now in order to serve God and serve others which leaves us with no regrets. So let's start reading chapter 9. Paul, in this first section, uh, basically 1 to 14, I'm just going to read and make some comments as we go along, but Paul's basically saying this, I'm an apostle who has rights. So listen to this. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So he starts out, and he's, he's defending his apostleship. Apparently some of them questioned, is, is this guy actually an apostle? And what's, what's an apostle? It means a lot of things, but it essentially means this. It's someone who personally saw the resurrected Jesus. Okay, now... Paul was a little different from the rest of the disciples, the rest of the apostles, in that Jesus just showed up to him. He's, on, he's going to this town called Damascus. He was on the way to, to persecute Christians there, actually. 
And on his way, Jesus just meets him in the middle of the road. And his life is changed forever. So he, he did behold the resurrected Jesus. And some are questioning his authority. And Paul says basically in these first three verses, are you kidding me? I planted your church, Corinth. And now I'm going to tell you about how I'm giving up all of these rights, all of these things that I deserve in order to serve you and love you and win people to Christ. And so his defense is in the next verses, starting in verse 4. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? So he's pointing out his rights here. And he says in verse 4, his first one is, is food and drink. And he's not talking about food sacrifice to idols, although he is free to have those as long as it's not causing someone to stumble. Rather, he's just talking about the, being able to know where his next meal's coming from. He has the right to that. And then he says in verse 5, uh, he has the right to a wife. And not just to have a wife, but have a wife that comes along with him on his missionary journeys while he's planting churches and to have her supported financially as well as he goes along. And then his last big thing in verses 6 through 14 is financial support. And he uses verse 7 uh, to make three analogies. Rather quickly, he uses the analogy of a soldier. Doesn't the soldier have a right to be taken care of? It'd be silly if we send out soldiers without and say, hey, you have to pay for your own gun, for your own food. What country would do that, right? And then, and then he uses the analogy of a farmer. Okay, what farmer doesn't have right to, the own, to his own crop to feed his livestock? Then he uses the example of a shepherd. What shepherd doesn't have right to some of the milk of the sheep. It'd be, it'd be ridiculous. And then he goes on in verses 8 and 9 talking about how this is backed up in the law or in Deuteronomy 25 in particular. It says verse 8, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? See here he's, he's talking about the fact that uh, what they would do in, in agriculture is they would take the crop, whatever it would be, let's just say, because we're all pretty familiar with corn around here, let's just say it's corn. They would take it out. They obviously didn't have a lot of the modern-day machinery we had, so they could get the ox to trample the cobs of corn so that the kernels would break free from it. Something along those lines. And he's just saying, hey, don't muzzle that ox. Let him eat some of the corn while it's, while it's doing that. And so then he uses this, bridges the analogy to financial support. Continuing in verse 10. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar 
share in the sacrificial offerings in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's saying this is a right of mine to receive financial support. And he uses all sorts of examples here. It's good and it's right for financial support to go to missionaries, to go to pastors, church planters. But he gives up this right. Why? Verse 12 at the end, it says, Nevertheless, we have, made, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's saying essentially, you know what? I gave up my rights in order to serve God. He doesn't want to put any obstacle in front of anybody to come to know Jesus. That's how passionate, that's how called Paul was to see people come to know Jesus. That he's willing to give up things that he dearly loved and desired and wanted so that other people could come to know Jesus. And so in verse 15 through 18, he's basically saying this, I give up my rights to serve God. Look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He's saying, you know what? I give my, my rights to serve God. And he, you can see that through his motives here. We know that Paul's motive is to serve God and to please God. It's his calling, right? He said he has this stewardship, not to boast of his efforts. It was his call. It was his duty. It was his calling on life. He obviously was not doing this for the praise of man because he wasn't even accepting the things that he deserved. He cares more about obeying God than receiving an earthly reward. Or put differently, he cares more about being happy in a thousand years. His reward, it says in verse 18, he says, my reward is freely sharing the gospel. He's exemplifying the gospel, right? The gospel is free. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the dead so that we can have a relationship with Jesus, have a relationship with God that we don't deserve at no cost to us. That's why he came. And so Paul wanted to exemplify that. Just as Jesus just showed up randomly while I was persecuting people following Jesus, showed up in my life, changed my life, free of charge. I want to I wanna bring this free of charge and go, you know what? God loves you. Here's his grace. It's free. His motives, without question, were pure here. Another thing... A note here is his priorities. The gospel going forward was more important to him than his own rights. He puts God's desires for him above his own desires. And he desires good things here. Food, a wife, financial security, all great things to desire. But he gave them up willingly to fulfill God's call in his life. And this just wasn't one priority in Paul's life. This was the priority. It says in verse 15, I would rather die 
Verse 16, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He, he had a singular focus. So I was trying to think of a good example. And, and if you don't know Wiley Coyote, you need to get to know Wiley Coyote, okay? So for some reason that we'll never know, he's after a roadrunner, which is ridiculous because roadrunners are really small and he's not going to get much meat from it. But whatever, that's besides the fact. But nothing will stop him, right? He gets hit with anvils, he gets blown up, and he's still trying to get the roadrunner. I don't think he ever catches, I never saw an episode where he catches the roadrunner. So if you have, show me that one, because I've been waiting for it my whole life. But Wiley Coyote, just a singular focus, and that's Paul, right? He just wants people to come to know Jesus. He doesn't care what it costs him. He's, he's just going for it. He prioritized God's will over his own will. He's like, I don't care what it costs me. I'm sharing the gospel. And because of that, he was, he was living a truly free life. In the next section, verses 19 to 23, Paul's basically saying this. I gave up my rights to serve others. So he's doing it to serve God, but he's also doing it to serve others. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul cared more about others believing in Jesus than he did his own rights. It says in verse 19, he was a servant to all that I might win more of them. He's not accommodating the gospel message. You know, a lot of people use this passage to, to, to kind of, tinker with the gospel message a little bit and change it around to make it sound more palatable. And that's not, that's not what Paul was doing. The message was the same. And he's not accommodating God's standards either. When he said he's, he's all things to all men, it doesn't mean that he was going and justifying sin, right? And justifying not, not sticking to God's standards. That's not what he was doing at all. He is, though, adapting his behaviors to his audience, in order to build trust, in order to win them to Christ. So he uses the example here, when he's with Jews, okay? When he's with Jews, he's not showing up with pulled pork sandwiches, okay? They, they couldn't eat pork. That, would, that wouldn't help him win the Jews to follow Jesus, right? So he's not doing that. But when he's with just Gentiles or, or non-Jews, he'll have a hog roast, right? He's, he's being all things to all men. He's... he's He's not putting any stumbling blocks in people's way. And he's pulling out all the stops so that people will come to know Jesus. Whatever it takes, without compromising his message and without living in sin. He's disciplined. He's calculated. He's wise. He's thought through. Others believing in Jesus is more important to him than his own preferences. Others believing in Jesus is more important to him than his own comfort. Others believing in Jesus is more important to him than his own security. Others believing in Jesus is more important to him than his own cravings and his own desires. 
So Paul gives up his rights in order to serve others. And then we see in this last section, 24 to 27, he calls the Corinthians and calls us to give up our rights to serve God and serve others. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying, be disciplined like an athlete. Okay, in Corinth, uh, there was some games there, much like the Olympic games called the Isthmian games. And so they would have, they would have understood this analogy right away of running a race for, for a, a, a wreath. Be disciplined, right? They understood what it meant to be disciplined in order to win the race, win the competition, right? They knew that it required proper diet and exercise and sleep and mental preparation, anything to get the edge, right? A great example of this modern day, and he's kind of a polarizing figure to some, but Tim Tebow uh, was a quarterback at the University of Florida, and then he was a quarterback in the NFL for a while. Now he's trying to be a major league baseball player. We'll see how that goes for him. But he would do 400 push-ups and sit-ups every day at age 11 because his dad wouldn't let him lift weights until he was a teenager. So that's what he did. 400 push-ups and sit-ups a day. At age 14, when he could start to lift weights, he did 55-pound curls, 315 reps at a time. He was also a missionary's kid. So at home, he wasn't just disciplined physically. Um, him and his family was disciplined Spiritually as well, at the dinner table, they would often do Bible quizzing, memorizing Bible verses together. He ended up winning the Heisman Trophy in college, which is the highest award you can get, the best college football player of the year. Uh, and then he started in the NFL for some blue and orange team that I don't want to talk about. But he should have played for the Chiefs. Okay, anyway, I'm, he's responding to this statement that said, there's a perception that Christians can be timid, even soft. Okay, some reporters like, aren't Christians soft? They're just weak. And he says this, it's so the opposite. At least it should be. That sometimes bothers me when people say that Christians are always soft. As a Christian, you should be kind and turn the other cheek. But at the same time, you need to be the toughest one. You need to be the one setting an example. You need to show character. You need to be the one working hard. I love that, and, and Tim to this day, um, from, what, from what we can see, right, you can never see someone's heart, um, is setting a great example of being a disciplined athlete, but also being a disciplined follower of Jesus. And that's what Paul's calling us to, to be as disciplined as you would preparing for a race or for a sports event. Give up your rights to serve God, to serve others, not just in sharing the gospel, that was Paul's main focus, right? Not all of us are called to go plant churches all over the place, right? But we're still, we still should be sharing the gospel. But he's talking more broad, just in serving God and in serving others and loving others. Give up your rights. 
And we're not just following Paul's example. Paul was a great example. We're following Jesus' perfect example. What a better example of someone who gave up his rights. God of the universe, right? Breathed out stars. He gave up his rights to die on a cross for us. It says in verse 25, show self-control in all things. It's talking about this athlete, show self-control in all things. But he kept that in all things, in everything. This is beyond self-control with just blatant sin issues in our lives, right? That's, that's kind of the obvious. Let's, let's not live in sin. Let's show some self-control with sin in our lives. Paul's taking it to the next level. Show self-control with things that aren't sinful at all. Be willing to give up things that, that aren't wrong in order for other people to come to know Jesus, in order, order to love God, in order to love other people, to serve other people. So I wanted to suggest some different areas of your life that you could give up some stuff. To be disciplined, like Paul says. Your time. Give up your time to serve God and to serve others. Spend time getting to know other people right here in this church. Spend time building relationships with neighbors, with unbelievers. And you know a great way to just kind of take a relationship to the next level whether it's someone in this church or a neighbor or whoever, just have them over for dinner. Everyone's got to eat. Just have them over. No agenda. Just sit down, get to know each other, hang out. Give up time in order to serve other people. Money. Give up your money in order to serve God and others. Is there something non-essential in your life right now that you're, you're pouring money into that you could give up? And instead, used to serve God, used to serve other people. Your talents, use your talents to serve God and to serve others. You know, by not using your talents, you might actually be keeping others from knowing Jesus or growing in their walk with Jesus, just by keeping them to yourself. Like if you had a musical ability, and you were just scared. I'm just scared to use that in front of other people. You could be hindering other people from really connecting with God. If you have skills with, with kids, with youth, but you, you find every excuse you can not to work with them, not to use the talent that God has given you, hindering those kids, hindering those youth from coming to know Jesus and growing in their walk with Jesus. This next one um, maybe wouldn't come to mind right away for you, but be willing to give up your fear to serve God and others. And I, d I don't mean go, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be fearful. That doesn't work, right? But be willing to crash through that fear, even if you're afraid, to just go for it. I guarantee in all of our lives we have someone that we're just kind of ignoring or not intentionally building a relationship with because we're afraid. What will they think of me? What will they say about me? What if they chew up all my time? Discipline yourself to step outside of your comfort zone relationally. You have a solution. You have the answer, Jesus. I know you don't want to be sitting at 
one of your friends or coworkers' funerals and be in deep regret, right? Take that step. Get to know them. Push past the fear. Give up your fear to serve other people. Eternity might count on it. Could have had an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and lead them to Christ. Give up your fear to tell others about Jesus. So I want to share a couple examples from my life. And I want to first share a really extreme example of what this could look like. And then a, uh, a more mundane, everyday example. And I'm not sharing this to boast. I just, I just want to humbly show you that this can be done. We can follow Paul's example of giving up our rights to serve other people. So in high school, um, I did pretty well academically, uh, and I got accepted to Iowa State, and I was going to go into engineering firm basically so I could make a bunch of money. And I knew that I was just doing it for the money. And God, through a series of events, just grabbed hold of my life. And, and I had this extreme life trajectory-altering experience where I was now going to Northwestern for youth ministry. And it was, it was insane, according to the world, right? Because you can make good money with engineering, and it looked like I could do pretty good at it. But God had me take that step, giving up what I could have done freely. And it's not bad to go into a field that makes you money. But I knew that God was calling me to ministry. So I was willing to give that up. And for some of you, God might have you do that. He might have you move around the world. He might have you change your career. He might have you do just something insane. Don't close the door on that. That happens all the time in people's lives. When the Holy Spirit really starts to move in people's lives, usually some crazy stuff starts to happen. But here's an everyday example. Uh, I was sitting in my office the other day, and right outside my window there's a, a picnic table, and people will often come sit at the picnic table. Um, and so I've made it a point just to go talk to people if, if they're there hanging out. So... The other day, I didn't have time, or I didn't think I had time. And I had a lot to get done, and I got to be here at this time. Oh, I, I, just, I can't talk to this guy today. And I was like, okay, okay, God, I'll go talk to this guy. I talked to him, had an amazing chat with him, ended up praying with him. And um, I, I don't know where he's at right now, and it's not like it was this amazing thing. He came to know Jesus right there in the spot. But it was really encouraging to him. Um, and I would have missed out on that opportunity to serve somebody. And to point them to Jesus if I would have just said, no, I don't have time. I'm not going to make time. And that's what it can look like in our everyday lives. There might be someone in your life that, that as you walk through your everyday life this week, where God would just have you go and talk to them. It could be as simple as that. It could be that you go and, and say, hey, can I pray for you? Is there anything you, pray for, you need prayer for? It could be taking time to help someone with yard work. It could be... A number of things. But are we willing to give up our everyday schedule? Everyone's always talking about how, how busy they are. I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And my fear is that we're too busy to love other people the way God calls us to. 
So how's God calling you to love other people, to sacrifice for other people? We live in a culture that's obsessed with excess, right? Let's be people who are obsessed with sacrificing our excess in order to love others. Where could you be more self-controlled? Where could you be disciplined like an athlete in order to serve God and serve others? And, and that's your homework this week. Figure this out. Talk with other people. Talk in your connection group. Talk around your table. Hey, what, where in my life am I just holding on to my time, my talent, my money, fear, whatever it is. I'm just holding on to that and not being open-handed to God with it. You want to be free? Follow Paul's example. Rearrange your life to serve God and others. What would that look like to rearrange your life to serve God and to serve other people? And that's really scary. I understand that. But it doesn't have to be something extreme. It could be very simple. Often the simple things go the farthest. I've been most ministered to and loved on by other people when people just do a simple act of kindness or a simple word of encouragement. So have your antennas out this week. God, where would you have me go? What would you have me say? What would you have me give up? What do you want me to rearrange in my life so that in a thousand years, I'll have no regrets? Let's pray. God, I, I know that you're calling us to do some extreme things. But you're also calling us to do some very ordinary things. So I pray, God, that you would just show us where we can just give up things to serve other people. That our life would be more about you, would be more about other people than our own desires, than our own comforts, God. Forgive us for making it all about us and not about you and not about others. And I, I pray that you would just change our hearts, God. Don't just, don't just change our behaviors. It's easy to change our behaviors. Change our hearts that we would desire to love other people, that we would have that singular focus and priority like Paul. do whatever it takes to love other people and point them to Jesus. Not just whatever's comfortable to me, but whatever, whatever you're calling us to, whatever it takes, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Help us to go and, and live this out. For this in your name, Jesus. Amen.